Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. You're listening to Career Crossroads, and if you're new here, welcome. And if you're not new, welcome back. I'm Jonathan Colleton, and this is the podcast where I talk to one person each week about all the pivots that have led them to their current career path. Now, we're really coming up on one year of Career Crossroads. This is the second to last interview before the one-year anniversary episode of the podcast. And it's kind of odd to me that in almost a year, I have not yet interviewed any one of my family. Now, it is technically true that at the end of this episode, I still will not have interviewed someone who is my family, but this is very, very close, and this person will very soon be a family member. That's because today I'm talking to Ben Spur, my soon-to-be brother-in-law, who is a transit reporter at the Toronto Star, the biggest newspaper in Canada, and formerly is of the Canadian indie rock band The Coast. So he's going to tell me all about how he went from rock band to reporter. Let's get right into that interview, and then afterwards stick around so we can talk about what we can learn from Ben's career path. Ben, welcome to Career Crossroads. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, it's uh, you're the first person who I've talked to who is basically family, because soon enough you will be part of the family as you're marrying my sister, Joanna. And uh, I thought it would be interesting to point out very early on during this interview that you're probably aware my family is very good at talking. <laughs> we're all prodigious talkers and you've been a great listener so far but today we're going to flip the script and uh, you get the chance to talk and i'm going to listen okay i'll do my best <laughs> great so we're going to talk about your career path today mm -hmm. so why don't you tell me where you grew up what you were like when you were a teenager and what was kind of the first thing you thought you might want to do with your life um so i grew up in etobicoke in the western part of toronto in kind of central Etobicoke in like a nice little leafy residential neighborhood. Oddly, very close to probably where yeah. we grew up. Yeah, yeah, very close to you guys. Um, and yeah, I don't know I, what kind of guy in high school was I? I think I was, I was a pretty shy teenager, I think. And um, I don't really remember having strong feelings of like what I wanted to do growing up, although I must have had them. Uh, but uh, I started to play like music in high school. So I think that was like a, a big uh, kind of escape for me and stuff. So I, I started to play music and played mid formed bands and stuff with my friends in high school. So for a while, I wanted to do that forever. But um, uh, that's a lofty goal that I did not end up achieving. Right. Okay. So what kind of courses were you taking in high school that you thought might be something you'd continue on in the future? And actually, I should first ask, what did you expect would be the future after high school? Because, you know, for some people, either they themselves or their parents kind of nudge them in the direction of post-secondary education, but not everyone does that. Yeah. Was that something that was like very clearly in your future? Yeah. Yeah. I think the... I don't remember it being like, uh, you know, explicitly told me that I had to go to university or something, but certainly my parents were both lawyers and um, my brother ahead of me, my older brother had gone into to university and ended up doing his PhD and stuff. So I think there was always uh, an expectation that I would do post-secondary uh, school and go to university. Growing up in Etobicoke, I don't know if you had this experience, but I always, because I was growing up in the suburbs of Toronto, the only place I ever wanted to 
live was downtown Toronto. Like I kind of think of people who grew up in downtown Toronto, maybe they want to go to New York or whatever. Yeah. But like, I just really was dying to like go downtown because, you know, the few times I could take the subway down there and yeah. I think it was a really cool place. So I always had some sense that I wanted to go to U of T. I used to like see these University of Toronto. I wanted to see, uh, uh, live in those like cool residences that they yeah. line the St. George street and stuff. Um, so yeah, that ha- had some idea in my head that I wanted to, to certainly go to university. And I don't know that I, in high school, I took like English and history courses, which was just the stuff that like interested me the most. Yep. I was really bad at math. Um, and science was interesting, but I wasn't that good at it because of the math. So I always kind of figured I would go into something based in writing something because I've had seemed to have some like natural proficiency at that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took like political science courses and history and English and that kind of thing. And I don't think I knew exactly going into university what I wanted to take, but I knew what I was like naturally good at. And so I think I took like the easy route. Um, I was kind of, what was the thing that I could do that would not strain me too much? So, yeah. yeah. So was it sort of that feeling of, like I'll just get a degree and then the degree will be useful for me later without actually knowing exactly what you wanted to do yet with that degree. Yeah, I think so. I think I started, uh, right in my first year, I don't think I had the sort of exactly what my majors and minor would be, but I ended up taking a major in history with a double minor in English and African studies. And, um, at the time, yeah, I didn't totally know what I wanted to do with that. I think I had some idea maybe I wanted to do journalism, but I also thought I might want to be an academic and you know, like do my master's and PhD and be a professor or something, but I okay. abandoned that as well. Wow. So on the one hand, I think when I hear like get a PhD and be a professor, that sounds very far off from the idea of being a band and mm-hmm. get famous as mm-hmm. a band. Mm-hmm. But then I think like there's probably very some very artistic people who are in bands who also do have PhDs. Like mm-hmm. it's, you know, when you see, I think of like TV shows like Californication, if you've ever seen that. Um, yeah, not a lot, not a couple episodes. Maybe. Yeah, so there is... You know, what you think of when you think of like rock bands that party, that's the type of bands that are in that show and uh, not the uh, PhD toting lead singers that mm. you might see in, in some other groups. So, mm. um, yeah, there seems to be like, they're kind of in separate directions. Yeah, exactly. I, I think basically I had no real idea what I wanted yeah. to do. Um, and um, yeah, was uh, trying to do a couple of things at once, which I guess when you're young, you kind of do that you're not yeah. really sure what path you're going to take so you kind of dabble in a bunch of different things yeah so the idea of being in a band as you mentioned early on so music was obviously some sort of passion of yours it was or actually that's maybe a good question was it something you were passionate about or was it something you just found that i'm pretty good at this maybe i can do this as a job one day um i don't know i think the thing with music especially when you're in uh when you're that young there's like the musical aspect of it that's like attractive to you, right? But also like playing in a band, I was a way to like hang out with my friends and, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, playing shows together and meeting new people and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was like almost uh, in retrospect, I think as much like a social endeavor as it was uh, any kind of calling or I get something that. yeah yeah like, like I, I think we've talked about this like i would get around i would hang out with my buddies and play video games in high school and you would hang out with your buddies and play music yeah yeah it became more of a um certainly as time went on it became more of a investment um because we 
you know, set goals of like wanting to play bigger shows and stuff, which meant practicing a lot. And we wanted to like record records, which meant, you know, um, paying for that kind of thing and, right. and, and like investing a lot of time and energy in it. Um, so after a while it became more like that, but I, I'm not, uh, I don't think I was the most naturally gifted musical person or anything like that. But uh, so I wasn't like, a, like I had to be playing music all the time or something as a, like a spiritual mission, but yeah, it was yeah. just like, I, I liked music in and of itself. And then I liked a lot of the other stuff like around it. Right. Right. So, right. Yeah. so specifically, what did you play and what kind of music did you and your buddies play? Uh, I played guitar and keyboards sometimes. And, uh, we, we would like, I think the easiest way to describe it, we were like an indie rock band, right? And like just two guitars and a bass and drums yeah. and, uh, silly synths sometimes and stuff. And, uh, okay. yeah. That's like the perfect era of indie rock bands around Toronto. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I think like following, like, you know, we were big fans of like broken social scene and yeah. like arcade fire and stuff like that. And, um, there was certainly like a scene in Canada and in Toronto and yeah. stuff. So we've, we slotted in there pretty easy. Do you remember ill Scarlet? Uh, it's a uh, name is familiar, but I couldn't sing it. Too there were some, they were a band that they'd one major song that I remember from first year university. And I had, totally forgotten about them it's like 14 years ago and a friend of mine recommended them or i'm trying to remember how it came up but she she knew someone who knew them somehow and, and she just brought them up the other day and like now i'm i'm reliving these memories of like 14 years ago playing this one song over and over from yeah. this one indie rock band from mm. i think they're from mississauga or somewhere around toronto okay. but um yeah so i i remember there were a lot of a lot of bands at that time like i was finishing high school right around the time that you were i think finishing university so i I would know a lot of the same bands that you were probably interested in at that point in time so when you were in university did the music side of things is it something that you had to sort of like sacrifice a little bit to focus on academics or were you very much on this two-track mindset where the music was really important and you were going to spend a lot of time doing that but the getting a degree was also important and you were going to spend time on that uh yeah I, i definitely split my attention which um delayed my academic accomplishments for sure so like i started to take half course loads i think in like grade uh sorry in like third and fourth year so um yeah so that i had more time to i was also working at that time too actually i was working i was also working at the school newspaper um at u of t um the varsity um and also trying to play in a band so that took up a bunch of time basically so i I had like a it took me a while to actually get through my undergrad because i started to take uh lighter course loads yeah how many years total did you end up taking uh i want to say five and a half or six i think i hit six yeah yeah you know that's like super common i i don't know how accurate this stat was but somebody who makes more money than me at the university told me this the the average graduate at my campus at u of t it takes like over six years to graduate. Yeah. And I think that's just kids. We have so many people that end up dropping down to part-time studies, maybe near the end because they are working or they're only studying part-time uh, the whole way through maybe. So yeah. uh, it's much more common than I think people realize. I took five years and a lot of friends I I know who did co-op programs took like five and a half because that's just what it took to get through those programs. But at the end of the day, everybody came out with a job. So it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, I just, I never really planned to take that long, but yeah. then it just ended up that way. So, yeah. yeah. So that makes me really wonder then, 
like what was the kind of level of success at the band at this point if you are willing to drop down your course load and spend longer on the degree mm. was this something where the band was actually making like were you making money at this point or was it still just that like hobby you were trying to get off the ground and you just wanted to spend as much time as you could on it yeah we never made money but we we were like i always think of it in a strange way that we were like um a level of success that is was almost a bit of a <laughs> I don't want to say this in a negative way because I had a lot of fun and it was good. Uh, I look back fondly on that time, but like, uh, it, but we were like, it was almost a curse the extent to which we were successful because we were successful enough that we had uh, a manager, we had like a record label, uh, and uh, we like could book tours and stuff. So like, we went on like the biggest tour we did was like a six week tour of like North America, like to down through uh the south by southwest festival in uh austin but like to get there you play shows all the way there yeah. and all the way back and we went out to la and vancouver and back so stuff like that would uh obviously take up time yeah uh, and uh we did a couple of we toured europe and we toured uh the uk as well um and so we weren't like making money we were making enough money to like put gas in the van to like get to the next uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. place but uh so you're like that, just you're you're getting by but you never you couldn't like break out and really like make it yeah yeah and which and which to uh, to be a financial sex success as an indie band i think is like really really difficult yeah um and uh even like really talented bands i think find it really difficult um but um yeah so we were just kind of like in this limbo a little bit where like there was enough incentive where we kind of felt like okay we're getting somewhere if we like keep at it like maybe we'll we'll get even further and so yeah like pulling the plug on it was a bit of a it was a tough decision because we sort of felt like you know um we're, we're we were making advances yeah, yeah. and it just kind of felt at some point that's you know, we had to move on and stuff, but it was like, if, if we had never gone anywhere or whatever, if we had never had any success, it would have been easier to right. pack it all up and, and, uh, get on with our careers and stuff. But yeah. Um, was this, was the touring and stuff happening while you were in school? Uh, like the big, like six week tour I think we did was like, uh, we, I was still in school, but it was mostly during summer. So it wasn't that disruptive, but, uh, we would like play shows during the school year for sure. Yeah. Um, not necessarily like big, huge tours, but, um, here and there and we go out of town yeah, uh, and stuff like that. So yeah, it definitely was, uh, uh, demanding. So you definitely had different summers than probably the typical student where they're just putting in 40 hours a week somewhere if they can to save money to pay for the next school year. What was your typical summer like were you able to hold down other jobs that were just flexible with your touring schedule yeah for, for a long time this is an odd job but the early part of my undergrad i worked uh for a uh non-profit organization that promoted uh breastfeeding issues so that was uh i worked on that for a while my mom was on the board of the organization so okay that explains maybe yeah. how you ended up there yeah on- the really interesting issue actually uh which uh should probably get more attention but um so well, what what is the, like the main? This is totally foreign concept to me. Yeah, so, give me the basic rundown. So this organization got started in part to boycott uh, Nestle, the Nestle company. So ne- the uh, oh yeah, they're very popular today. <laughs> yeah, I know they got a whole bunch of trouble with. Uh, yeah, well, they steal stuff. all the water. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. But before that, they had a they had faced a lot of controversy because basically they manufacture the biggest uh, manufacturer of baby food. Mm. And baby food in and of itself, uh, like formula, 
it's not a, a negative thing in some contexts it's a very positive thing but um the issue is that uh, to make formula you have to um add water and in a lot of places in the world water is contaminated and so uh. If, uh so it's a can be a dangerous product in certain contexts and they were notorious for really aggressive marketing practices like things like pretending to be health care workers and like they would send people dressed up as nurses into hospitals in some countries oh, and stuff no. like that and talk to mothers and say instead of don't breastfeed your your child use this stuff which is one dangerous too expensive yeah um, compared to breast milk which is free you know those kind of marketing practices uh, could be deadly and so there's a big push by a lot of people to change those practices to, to institute um, regulations around the marketing of uh, formula and to, to better promote breastfeeding. Yeah. So interesting issue that I knew very little about at the time, yeah. but I learned some. What kind of, what did you do in that job? I was just like a administrative stock guy. They like sold things and I would uh, pack up the mail and like take it to the post office. And um, I did some writing for them too. I actually wrote about like, helped write their newsletter and stuff like that. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, so I've had that same experience where I imagine like your mom got you the job, right? Cause she was on the board. There. Yeah. 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 I assume she had a hand in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've had that same experience where my dad got me a job and then the job for, for me, the job sucked. Mm -hmm. And I, I was like, I got to get out of here, but I kind of was committed because his sort of rep was on the line. Cause sure, he yeah, got yeah. me the job, you know? Yeah. So had to uh, stick through that one for the summer. But yeah. what other types of summer work did you do? So that that one lasted a while. Um, and I think I only got out of that at the end, end of my undergrad. Um, I Yeah, but they were really accommodating about like me taking time off to do this other stuff, like yeah. go play shows and stuff. So yeah, so that, that lasted a while, which actually pretty helpful because it paid a lot better than like a minimum wage job and oh, stuff. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so that was helpful. But yeah, it was after undergrad that I... Left that job and then had other bunch of uh, less glamorous odd jobs and stuff. So yeah, okay. So then when you graduated, you what was the the final degree? What was the the title on the paper when you got it? A uh, bachelor of arts with uh, and I think I got good grades. <laughs> uh, so they added some Latin thing on the end. Yeah, uh, and um, yeah, with a major in uh, uh, history and uh, minors in English and African studies. Okay, so, yeah. but you spent a lot of time doing writing like you worked for the varsity you said yeah yeah so like yeah i guess th by the end of school i i kind of had a sense that i wanted to be a journalist or, or that i might want to be and so i started working for the varsity first as a reporter and then as an editor there for a couple of years and that was like really great experience because you put out a newspaper yeah. twice a week um at the time i don't know what their schedule is at the moment but um yeah so you learn how to like do all that stuff that is is necessary um which was a really helpful experience yeah so I work with the people now who were in the exact role, basically, that you were in, mm -hmm. uh, being that I work in student affairs at university. And often those people end up working in journalism after the fact, but not always. Mm -hmm. So for you, it sounds like you said you have a, you had a sense that you wanted to kind of head in that direction. Mm -hmm. So how did that compete with or did it not compete with the the band and the fact that you were having that sort of like the edge of a cliff worth of success where you're like, we're almost there. Mm -hmm. We've almost made it. Um, but you also want to be a journalist. And at the same time, I guess in that way, 
in your in some ways your career would be impacted by the other guys in the band because if all of a sudden they decide they want to pick up and do something else something else they've been working towards that really affects the whole group right yeah yeah for sure yeah we uh, we've uh, this is not a novel thought by the other guys in the band who i'm still friends with um but we always talk about it, it it's like being in a, in a romantic relationship like in that like you're so dependent on the other person yeah and like you know if the other person goes out of town for two weeks or something you can't practice you can't do anything so like there was a lot of like monitoring the other person people i guess and being kind of like uh no no no, you can't go off and do your own thing we're we're all in this together kind of thing um so yeah it was actually um could lead to some tension right because especially near the end where we started to think like you know like maybe we're not going to do this forever we should if we're smart we need to start to think of like genuine career paths and stuff and so there was like a a bit of a standoff almost in terms of like, who's going to break first. Right? Oh yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I think we were mostly smart. Like I was trying to, by working at the varsity and stuff, I was trying to keep my toe in the water so that like, um, if the band ended, which I knew it probably would, then I would have some kind of experience that I could fall back on. But yeah, it was, it was difficult to balance. Like I remember literally like having to go on tour while like editing stuff for the paper and so like sitting in the back of a van like in a highway in like utah or something trying to like edit someone's story which ended up being okay but it was definitely like a juggling act for sure no kidding all right so when you graduate how long did the band stick around for after that point in time um about three years until we finally called it quits and so, yeah, so that was a weird time career-wise, certainly. Like, um, yeah, so I basically uh, got, like, just, like, little job. I was working at uh, in the stockroom at American Apparel on yeah. Main Street for a while, which was pretty soul-sucking because um, I was, like, 24, 25 or something like that. And older, I think, even probably, like, 26. And uh, everyone there was, like, 18 or younger yeah. and like it was just like a really I was like oh this is I've made a mistake um, and uh, yeah on top of that I just needed money so I was like working at uh, I tried to I was working as an usher at um, the Royal Conservatory for a while which was an interesting job and for like a week I was like so panicked that I needed I just needed more money I tried to take on a third job of like washing dishes at a restaurant on Yon Street which was the worst thing I've ever done like you you don't understand how bad a job that is until you do it. Like people complain about that yep. job famously, but it is brutal. I lasted like two shifts and I was like, I can't do this. I I've actually, so literally today had a conversation with, um, the woman who owns my barber shop. I, I was getting a haircut today and she's got a son who is in first year university. So we talk sometimes about, you know, like, what's he going to do? Because I knew he was going to head towards the path of university, but she was telling me about some job that, he had, I don't quite remember what it was. And I was reminiscing about my first jobs and how I had to work some terrible jobs to sort of teach me that I better work hard because I don't want to do this forever. Mm. And I definitely want to do something else with my life. So those bad jobs can be a blessing sometimes. Like if you need that sort of kick to say like, oh man, I need to, I need to do something else and, and just work hard, mm. uh, which was definitely... And I was quite young at the time. I was like 16 or something like that or 15 when I had that that first job. And it, one summer and I was out of there. Um, 
but you were, you were a little bit older when this happened. Yeah. And so like, it sounds like you're working maybe two or three different jobs at any given time yeah. plus the band. So yeah. you have kind of the ability to just say, screw this. I'm out of here. If, if that job is like too much, like you've, you've put in your time doing other stuff too. And you're already working tough jobs, so you don't need to stick around at that one for all too long. Yeah, I guess so. But it was just, uh, yeah, I remember that period is not fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, just like, yeah, yeah, out of school, not making money, um, working jobs that's, you know, f- for that mostly, you know, usually younger people do. And just being, feeling like uh, I needed to get my act together. Otherwise, I was going to go down a dark path or something. Yeah. So. I'm wondering about that too, like with the, you were talking about your parents and your older brother and they seem very successful in what they were doing. Like mm-hmm. they've kind of reached the top of their fields. Mm-hmm. And so did you ever get any family pressure about what you were doing and that you need to, you need to like figure out what's going to happen if, if, if the band seemed very like stagnant on the precipice of success but not quite there mm. was there a point where your family sort of chimed in about what you should be doing uh no i mean the, the to uh their credits my parents were very like supportive always of even like when i was yeah, doing band stuff or whatever that i think other guys in the band their parents were like telling them like you're crazy like what are you doing my parents were always like oh like you're having fun like uh that good for you and stuff and so like they never really put pressure on me i think they must have started to get worried at some point but they were not very like um direct about it um but yeah it was but they let you live your path yeah yeah for sure but they yeah but i certainly felt that stuff like i remember i have a younger sister too and she she's a lawyer and i remember going to her like ceremony to get like called to the bar and stuff like that and i was like at the times you know working these um jobs that i didn't like and just feeling like um like that's my other siblings had figured something else out that i had not yet so yeah yeah well i'm glad that that was a positive answer about your parents because I'm going to meet them at the wedding and I hope they're not going to be pissed off. Like what's this guy asking about before? So, no, no, no. no, that's good. Good yeah. to hear. So you're working all these less than ideal jobs mm-hmm. and it sounds like they're very much jobs. And I say that because I have in the past differentiated with some people between were you working at a job or working at a career or recently I had someone reach out and point out there is a third option, which is a vocation where mm-hmm. It's something you just feel drawn to. And this was a, a friend of mine who felt drawn to become a priest and he had worked a couple jobs and then he he found his vocation. It sounds very much like you were working jobs and that was to just keep bringing in money while you were working on the band. And mm-hmm. you said it was two or three years where the band kept going after university. So what about the writing then, the journalism, I should say? What what was the the path for that at the time that the band was still going. Yeah. I, I started, uh, somewhere in there and by grasp of dates is, is, uh, not firm. So I apologize, but somewhere in there, um, I also started to write, I just tried to write for whoever I could. Yeah. So I started to do like freelance articles for whoever I would accept them. Um, I also started to work for blog to the, um, website here in Toronto. And, uh, just basically doing like a, a menial journalistic task of like uh, I was like their listings editor so I would round up every morning like what was happening that day in the city and like write two sentences on each of them uh, but it was actually like a steady job they it paid like nothing 
Um, but like I, it was like a part-time gig. Yeah. So I got that and, um, I can't remember exactly what year, but maybe 2007 or 2008 and started to do that on top of everything else that I was doing. So just trying to like keep us again, like keep, keep my foot in the door, um, mm-hmm. on, on writing and journalism. Yeah. So it was like, it was less about the money. It was more about the experience you were getting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was just trying to build up some kind of portfolio, some yeah. kind of resume. Yeah. And very much seems like you were. I mean, you've said it before. You you thought the band eventually was probably going to end. I mean, unless you're, you know, Aerosmith and tour into your 70s, the band's yeah. going to end eventually, right? Yeah, so sure. you were working on this other path, trying to get, keep your foot in the door so that when that day came, you were prepared and you had something to go to. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that I had a backup, basically. Yeah. Okay. So when did that, like, what was the catalyst that really shifted things then for you with, with the band? Like you said, it was sort of a standoff where... Everybody was kind of seeing who was the first one to maybe either say, I've got to leave to pursue something else. Mm-hmm. Or was there ever, were there, was there like a lot of conversations about like, are we going to make it or should we all decide to move on? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There was lots of conversations about that and they were, yeah, difficult and like not fun. Cause yeah, we'd been doing it for so long at that point and was kind of like a big part of our self uh image and identities and stuff so um so it's definitely a hard thing to end but basically we we recorded a second full-length record and then our kind of plan like we realized that we were sort of out of gas i guess so our that we would uh do a bit of like touring to like support that record and then call it quits um and there was kind of a debate about how much we should uh do uh, like how much how much tour and stuff we should do to to support it, but um, basically after we put out that record, we decided to wrap it up and mm. uh, yeah, played a show at the Garrison in Toronto, and that was our last uh, show. So if I go to some old music shop in Toronto, I can find these albums somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and it's crazy too because we uh, one of the like the one of the few ways you actually make money as a band um, it's not so much through touring necessarily, but uh, licensing your music. Oh, yeah. so like to commercials or to like shows, um, and so every uh, three months I get like a royalty check for like twenty five dollars, and like <laughs> you can see like our show our songs been played and. Uh, like bulgarian radio or something bulgarian (laughs) radio yeah you can like see the countries um but uh for a while there was like a when ntv canada started here um there was some cancon rule where shows that played on mtv canada had to like have canadian music on them so they would take shows like the hills and like laguna beach redub the music and and dub canadian music on it so like there's like a scene of like jersey shore where like uh someone breaks up and like you hear like our song oh that's fantastic yeah it's pretty well i want to find that clip (laughs) i was i looked for it the other day for some reason and i couldn't find it because it's like the canadian versions right good luck but um yeah i wonder like do you think the DVD sales in Canada, would they just have the American music? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But probably. It's, it's probably just for live, live. Yeah. I think for uh, live broadcast. So it's yeah. maybe lost to the ages, but oh, that's um, spectacular. Yeah. I remember watching it being like, Hey, I wrote that song. It like meant something to me. And now it's like J wow or whoever. Like, <laughs> like, that's spectacular. I love that. Can we find your music on Spotify anywhere? Uh, oh yeah, it's on Spotify. And What's like the band iTunes. name? Uh, I haven't asked during this whole oh, convo. I didn't know if it was going to come up. Oh, uh, the Coast we're called. Um, but yeah, we're it's it's actually wild because like uh, it's just so weird. Like we didn't 
tell Apple that they could do it, but like they have our music on <laughs> iTunes and on Spotify, and like you can yeah. like, watch. Yeah, and actually, like, <laughs> uh, so one of the guys in the band, uh, he married a Colombian woman. And uh, she is a uh, um, uh, very smart and talented uh, person in many different uh, areas of life. But one of the things she did was she started a um, pretty successful in Colombia TV show that uh, used our music as a soundtrack. And so we have tons of Colombian fans, apparently. If you go to like our YouTube, uh, if you go to YouTube and like look up our songs, uh, people have like translated the lyrics into Spanish. And, oh yes, and, like, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. So we've got a following in Colombia. Oh, that's amazing. Now, what year did the band end? Because we're talking about a lot of stuff in the late 2010. So, what was the year when you finally ended? Uh, 2010. It's what we 2010. Ended. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's a different time than than today, right? Like Spotify didn't exist back yeah, then, yeah, as far exactly. as I know. And YouTube was YouTube, but it it wasn't so much you music. It was like no. people making weird videos, yeah. right? has there like with this sort of rise with fans in Columbia has there, has somebody ever gotten everyone back together and said like we should try again no I mean we joked about like uh, reuniting in Columbia which would be fun but uh, no I think we've all uh, I, th- I think we're all kind of happy with where we are now I don't right. think there's like a desire to relive those days it, okay. it's not fun it's like it's fun being in a band but it's not easy it's, you don't right. make a lot of money you don't uh, eat well <laughs> yes and i don't expect you guys were in like coach tour buses were you no no we had like a fairly comfortable van but like i just remember like but going, a van yeah, yeah yeah not a 56 person bus with no. uh beds in it or anything. no and just all you're doing is eating burgers at road stops every day and drinking beer at the yeah. show and just like uh, so like what we see in movies when we see a band packing up their gear at the end of the night in their van and driving off that was you yeah pretty much yeah yeah it was yeah not something you want to do forever but for a couple of years great so, yeah. yeah all right so then for you when the band ended what was the thing you were doing at that point in time on the journalism side because obviously that's what you were working towards yeah i think by that time i'd gotten um a job at a, a news startup which, uh, yeah, I think I'd like parlayed my like blog TO and like freelance stuff into a job at a new startup. In between there, though, <laughs> I applied for journalism school at Ryerson and got rejected. Um, so that was a J school, as I've heard it yeah, called recently. Yeah. I was listening to, I think his name's Jesse Brown. He's the host of yeah. Canada Land. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, there was an episode recently about this. Well, I, I don't know if we talked about it, but the, there's a lot going on at the journalism yeah, department yeah. at Ryerson right now. And he was doing an episode talking all about that. And he kept calling it J school. Mm-hmm. And so I had to, I put the pieces together, yeah. figured out what it was. Yeah. That's why they call it. I don't, I don't totally know why. Um, well, I know why, but I don't know why right. I insist on calling it that. But you got um, rejected from J school. Yeah. I got rejected from J school, but uh, so that was a bummer. Because Ryerson is a, a good program for sure. Um, but yeah, I got a job at a new startup called The Mark. And it was uh, the concept of the place was that it was going to be the Huffington Post for Canada because Huffington Post had just kind of launched in the States and was proving like a, a successful model. But like two or three months like into my time there, Huffington Post Canada launched. Ah. So that... Um, the established brand is yeah. a little easier to get off the ground, I yeah. guess. Yeah. So that dealt a blow to the mark and it was really weird. Actually, I was like, I went there to try to, you know, be a journalist of some description. Uh, but it was, it slowly started to turn into an advertising agency, which was really weird. So, mm. um, so I got out of there and, uh, took another job at a uh, now magazine, which, um, 
I don't know how much people know about, but it's like a left wing alternative alternative free newspaper here in Toronto, kind of like the Village Voice okay. equivalent. Yeah, so I got a job there in early 2011. So what kind of stuff were you writing about? Because you mentioned politics and history were things of, your, of interest. Yeah. And so I imagine that you would want to write about things that are within your area of interest. Yeah, well, I, so I, I was really lucky because... Uh, so I started that job in April 2011 and Rob Ford was elected in uh, October 2010. And oh, so yes. I just uh, pretty quickly, like when I started the job and now they didn't really give me much direction. They just wanted someone who could give them stories on a regular basis. Yeah. But I realized like the place to be was um, City Hall. Yeah. And um, so I started to spend a lot of time there and like basically set up a, a bureau of Now Magazine at, the, at City Hall because there was just so much going on there with uh, Rob Ford being in office and um, it only got more interesting over the next three years. So I guess so. <laughs> yeah. So Rob Ford, uh, that was a fascinating time in Toronto's history. And yeah. I have, I don't know if my sister's ever told you this story, but I was talking to my dad about this the other day. And I know this is not career related, but I think people listening will find this hilarious. So Joanna and I were in, Scotland. We took a trip in 2014 together okay. and or we met up. We were both on separate trips and we met up and we ended up in Edinburgh, Scotland together. And there's a place right outside of the kind of core part of the city. It's called either Arthur's Seat or Arthur's Mount. I don't remember, but it's like a, it's, it's, I wouldn't call it a mountain. You can go and climb it, yeah. like just walk off the street and go climb it. And at the top, there's this sort of medallion statue thing indicating like you made it to the top. Mm -hmm. And so this would have been, I guess, right around the time of the really crazy stuff with uh, with him where, you know, he's talking about he had plenty to eat at home and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And this guy asked me to take a picture with him at the kind of monument thing. So I took a picture of him, not with him. And uh, he asked where I'm from. and Or I think maybe I asked where he was from. He told me he was from Kenya. And I asked where, or he said, where are you from? And I said, Canada. And he said, oh, where specifically? I said, Toronto. And he goes, Rob Ford. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So uh, Rob Ford has made it to international headlines in Kenya. So yeah, yeah, we are on the map for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, for sure. No, he was uh, international news. And so like for me, for someone like me who hadn't been to journalism school, right? All of a sudden I was like at the center of like the biggest story in the city, yeah. if not the country for like a couple of weeks. And uh, so it was actually like a, just an amazing education of like, I was watching people, um, you know, big time reporters for, for the globe and the, the star and, um, and other outlets like report on this. And I was kind of like right there uh, and like camping outside there, uh, Rob Ford's office and stuff. Uh, spending long hours doing that kind of thing. And it was just like a really good um, education, like I yeah. said, that I, I don't think I could have got it at school. Um, like that real, like hands-on practical experience. And, yeah. And not just you doing things, but seeing other people in your field and how they reacted and responded to things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And just, um, yeah, like just watching how people behave at like press conferences and, you know, knowing what questions to ask and, and all that kind of stuff was like really um, uh, like an amazing experience. Like I, I literally remember people telling me like other reporters being like, this is like the biggest story you'll ever cover in your career. <laughs> and you're like, what, a couple years in like yeah, full-time like, work? Yeah. And like, these were like seasoned reporters being like, this is the biggest thing I've ever seen. Um, so yeah. So that, that was like a, a great, yeah. Um, it felt like a free ride. It was really helpful. 
Yeah. That, uh, wow, what a wild ride that was. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to go watch all the YouTube videos of all the late night hosts just ripping on him yeah. after this. Yeah. It was There was some spectacular moments on late night TV because of that. Yeah. Okay, so you get this amazing educate. You're you're gifted this experience, mm-hmm. gifted this mm-hmm. experience pretty early on. And I mean, how do you like after that sort of ends? And and none of those events really. There's never like a this event is happening and it ends. Everything sort of slowly fades out, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think society we want this closure of like this event is happening and then it ends and we move on to the next thing. But like these things don't really happen that way. So for the average person, they probably started spending less time paying attention to what was going on there. But for you, were you there waiting for the next crazy thing to happen longer than most of us? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you got diagnosed with cancer, which certainly right. <laughs> changed the story. Uh, so, and that happened before, uh, the reelection, uh, his reelection bid, Doug Ford, his brother ran for him and he lost and John Tory won. So that was pretty, that, that was a, like, that certainly puts a cap on that yeah. aspect of the story for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, even at, like after that, right? The crack video came out, which was nuts. Was um, that after the that election? Was after, yeah. Oh man! For anybody not from Toronto who didn't pay attention to Toronto politics seven years ago, you might want to look up Rob Ford, <laughs> yeah. uh, Rob Ford, crack pipe. I know that sounds odd, but just trust me. It's whatever Wikipedia article you find will be fascinating. So, yeah. Anyway, so for you then, like, what's the next sort of thing in in journalism for you? Well, yeah, like I, so, you know, I I stuck around it now for, um, after that, after that election, I think in, yeah. And then in 2015, just, I, I saw an ad for a job at the star and, um, Again, I feel lucky in the sense that um, that doesn't come up very often anymore. Like big newspapers don't yeah. hire a lot of people. But, We're talking uh, about the Toronto Star, yeah. like the biggest paper. The biggest paper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And is it the biggest paper in the country? It's got to be. Uh, so it depends on what measurement you uh, use. Okay. The Globe will say that they're the biggest in some ways, but um, the, the Toronto Star is the largest circulation paper, I believe. So, gotcha. um, anyways, yeah. So they, I saw an ad for a reporter there, and. Um, uh, like an entry level reporter position. And by that time I'd worked uh, at now magazine for like five years. So like had a, a good amount of experience under my belt and applied for that job. And remember being, you know, pretty nervous to go and be interviewed there is like intimidating. But um, I, I remember like walking away from the interview and feeling like pretty good. I was like, this is going to happen. It was a, a pretty good feeling. Fantastic. So obviously then you get the job. Yeah. Yeah. Get the job. And what kind of stuff are you reporting on for the star? So at first, uh, most reporters, when you start at a big paper, like you're just what they call like a general assignment reporter, which means you just do anything, um, whatever is like the hot issue that day, like you kind of chase it. Um, a lot of people end up doing like crime and stuff like that very early, which um, is a really tough job. And I think emotionally hard too, but um, I never ended up doing that. I would just do any little thing that, that came up Um sometimes local news I don't, I can't, i'm trying to think of what like, like my very first stories were so, yeah just like local city news usually writing stuff about problems and like um toronto community housing writing about bike lanes stuff like that like just kind of um city issues yeah mostly, yeah and then i guess when like you said that jobs like that don't come up very often so mm-hmm. when you got into that job at the toronto star did you feel like 
this was somewhere you were probably going to be for a very long time or, or, you know, forever. Because for some people, you're chasing a specific goal once you get into your industry. And like, sometimes people are like that at the university. Once they're in with the university, they, they get off a contract, they get into full time. Like they're going to stick with the university forever because from a very practical point of view, it's a good place to work. The, the pay is generally fair and there's good benefits and there's of places you can work. It's a pretty good place to work. Mm -hmm. And is the Toronto star, did you have that? Was there a perception like that? of the Toronto star where you thought like, I just want to get in there and then I can move around within the star. Uh, I certainly like wanted to stay there because um, you know, as far as uh, for me, there's not a better place to be in journalism in Canada, really. Like yeah. it's a, uh, it's a newspaper that's their values align with mine in terms of it's a, it's like a progressive paper that's uh, about, um, you know, making positive change in Toronto. And I'm from Toronto. I grew up reading the Toronto star. I care about the city. So I, it was always a place where I wanted to to be and, and stick around at. My first job was a contract, though. So, like, I had to, um, you know, there was years basically where I was on contract. So I, I was just trying to, and my contract would come up and they would renew it. But it was always kind of, you know, on um, kind of, uh, it was a bit nerve wracking, right? You never really knew yeah. when something bad could happen. And journalism, you know, there's waves of layoffs all the time. So it was, uh, it's certainly been difficult uh time to be in journalism and you never quite feel safe right. but um but yeah like i knew that i wanted to stay there for sure yeah. yeah i mean there is something to be said right that you were working for some more online based news sources previously mm. and the star traditionally has been known for print media although they're really beefing up the online content mm. these days was there any of those thoughts like print media is dead what am i doing or because it's such a massive entity was that not really a concern uh no i mean it was uh yeah certainly it's, it's a concern you know it's uh i think anyone in journalism concerned about the future of of big institutions like that what it was kind of crazy that what right when i started uh the star was going through this massive and expensive and ultimately futile project to reinvent itself basically and we don't have to go too deep into it but basically they were uh trying to switch to at, at the time people were buying tablets oh and they, yeah they were trying to put out this tablet product which was like a, a basically a separate separately designed separately packaged news product on a tablet that would come out every day and you would read it um but like the way the way it was put together was completely different than print and completely different than online and uh it took a tremendous amount of manpower and they they thought that this was going to be like the future of the star and so like i joined right as that started and it was just like the massive change that the company um incredible amount of work it took so much more work to put together this tablet product than it did to do anything else so people were going like hell for leather to make it work and then about a year later it was clear it wasn't going to work and a whole bunch of people got fired and um that whole project was scrapped yeah and, was, and you're only on contract so that's yeah like, yeah things aren't super certain obviously yeah for sure so it's uh yeah it was a lot of upheaval and like lots of good journalists and like friends of mine got laid off and it was uh yeah it was, i remember that day really vividly it was very very bad no like, kidding yeah. wow okay so uh, you start off as a general reporter reporting on all kinds of different stuff but i know that's not what you're doing now so what was the transition from doing that kind of stuff to what you're doing now um for a little while, I, was a, I got assigned to the national desk, and uh, that was just doing national news, and that was around the um, 2015 
election. So um, had a lot of work around then. But then, yeah, in early 2016, just an opening came up at um, the Transportation Beats. The reporter who had done that uh, for a long time, for about 10 years, decided she wanted to try something else at the paper. So she left that. And um, I think to her credit, her name's Tess Kalinowski, and she, um, she's always uh, been nice to me. So she, uh, she knew me from City Hall days when I was still at Now, and she was um, at the Star. So when she left her role, uh, she's a real estate reporter at the Star now. When she left transportation, she said that uh, she basically recommended me um, to take over. And um, I think the editors thought that I'd be good at it. It's a kind of a, a beat that I'd shown some interest in to some extent. It's about you know municipal politics, which I'd written about before. So I um, uh, slotted in there and uh, have been doing that ever since. Obviously, we have just... I was going to say we've come out of the other side of a pandemic, but that's not in fact accurate. I imagine your job shifted quite a bit when all of a sudden people stopped taking transit to work every day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was. Uh, that's like the big story in transit around the world is, um, yeah, how how um, far fewer people are taking it. I mean, that's it certainly doesn't mean on my end that there's a shortage of news. It's just um, different news, yeah, it's probably like different news, and there's still lots to write about. But um, it's uh, that's certainly been like the the story out there that it, it's you know caused transit agencies everywhere to lose tons of money and and that has a massive effect on them and the health of transit systems has a huge effect on the health of cities so it's um, a big uh, big change yeah so you mentioned you figured out in university that journalism was something you know some point through university you figured out it was something you wanted to do Mm -hmm. and all these years later as you're in that field and you've had you had music as a passion before Mm -hmm. and not that the passion's gone but the reality of making that a career became, oh, it just became less, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to be as as feasible. With journalism, do you think this is the type of thing that you can see yourself doing for as long as you are part of the working world? Yeah, I mean, I've been doing it for 10 years now. So um, that's a pretty good start. I yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's something I want to do for uh, as long as I can. It's um, a, a stressful job and like a, a difficult job sometimes, but for the moment, it's something I still want to do for sure. Um, yeah, some reporters get out of reporting after a little while and then become editors. Like that's kind of a natural progression, and maybe I'll do that. But for the for the moment, certainly I like reporting, and I want to keep doing that. Okay. So my last thought here is: you mentioned something about how the star very much aligns with your values, mm-hmm. and I wonder how important you think that is in general with careers kind of overall because you worked a lot of jobs previously that did they all align with your values or were there points where you just needed to get the experience and so you weren't really worried about what you were what you were doing it was just the experience side of things whereas now that you have a little more experience and you have more say in your future career you can really focus on those things that do align with your values yeah i think so i mean all the Jobs I had before journalism, I don't think, yeah, really necessarily aligned with my values or anything. They were just jobs that I was I was doing to get by. Uh, but since I've been in journalism, I think the the work I've done has more aligned with my values. I think just journalism itself and the importance of journalism um, is something that I believe strongly in. So it kind of any type of journalism, I think, is uh, important. Um, and so any journalism, anytime I've had a chance to do a job in journalism, I felt like privileged, but specifically a, a place like 
the Toronto Star that um, you know pushes for positive and progressive change is somewhere that I am happy to work for, and that does make it a lot easier easier to um, you know go to work every day, even though I don't leave my house anymore that much. But I um, <laughs> like to to get up and and do the work, knowing that you know I hope that there's some positive outcome at the end of it. So. Yeah, I think that's that's really important to me, at, at least. I mean, it's uh, no one really gets into journalism for the money because there's not a ton. But um, yeah, having that sense of doing something positive is um, a strong motivator. Okay, well, that sounds like a pretty good place to end off. So, Ben, thanks a lot for sharing your story, particularly because... You know, you might have felt pressured by me when I asked you to come talk to me <laughs> no, today. No, I'm happy to do it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time talking about myself, but it's interesting to think back on um, the jobs I've done and stuff. So yeah, happy to do it. All right, so that is Ben's career path so far. And it sounds very likely that that's the career path he'll stay on for a very long time and probably until he retires. But hey, you never know what could happen. He might not stay the Toronto Star's transit reporter forever, but journalism provides plenty of options, and it's a career where he can do the same thing forever while switching up the content. But before journalism, Ben was living the dream, being in a rock band. And I know that that's everyone's dream, because every one of us has sang into a bottle of shampoo or a hairbrush, and a lot of us probably have embarrassing videos from when we were teenagers to prove it. Another way I know it's the dream is because they were able to make seven Guitar Hero games and four Rock Band games. That's capitalism hard at work giving the people what they want. Before this gets too far off the rails, let's bring it back to careers. And today I want to talk about pursuing difficult careers that have a possible end date. Not every career is forever, and we definitely heard that from Ben today. So when it comes to pursuing difficult careers, I want to talk about two specific things. First, sacrifice. And then the second thing is balance. So let's start with sacrifice. Having a successful band is very, very hard to do. And when I say success, I mean being in a band that makes enough money that you can make a living off of it for an extended period of time. The Coast put out two albums, did a bunch of tours, so I'm going to call that a success. Even if, as Ben says, you don't make a lot of money, he was still doing that as kind of his primary thing for quite a while. So take it back to the beginning. The Coast started off as a way for a bunch of buddies to hang out and play music together, but at a certain point they realized that they could have some success if they were really committed, so they had to make some sacrifices. In Ben's case... I think that's taking a lesser course load at university. I call that a sacrifice as it meant he had a longer timeline to finish his degree and no one's spending the money on a university education just because you want to graduate and get a degree and for a lot of people get into the workforce. Ben did all of those things, but he did have to find a way to make both the band and the degree work at the same time. So I think that's a little bit of sacrifice there. Well, the sacrifice paid off. As we heard, two records, a bunch of tours through Europe, the United States. I'm going to call that success. That is Ben and his buddies making a living off playing the instruments they used to play just for fun to hang out with one another. But eventually, Ben knew he would not be making a living playing music anymore. So what do you do when you're in a career that is likely to have an expiry date? 
do what Ben did, and prepare for what comes next well in advance. Ben thought journalism was an option, and by the end of university, he knew it was his likely path forward. So during that time, he had to find a way to balance his present and likely future. Ben did that by keeping one foot in the door of journalism the whole time the band was touring, because he wanted to make sure he had the experience required to get himself a career, a job, the day he had to put the guitar down. And in practice, that meant that even when he was in school, he was juggling touring with writing and editing articles for the varsity in the back of a van traveling down the highway. If you're in a situation where you're struggling and trying to decide if you should pursue a dream career, and you're also worrying about what happens if you run out of steam, I think you've got a couple different options here. One, you can go all in, and maybe things will work out, or maybe they won't. Or two, you can take a lesson from Ben. Make the sacrifices you need to make in order for your dream to come true, but also balance your current dreams with your future dreams. Ben's proof that it can be done, because how many people can say they are successful journalists while also having a song on an episode of Jersey Shore? I bet the answer is almost none. That is a wrap for this week's episode of Career Crossroads. So in a minute, when this ends, go check out Columbia's hottest indie rock band, The Coast. I've linked their Spotify playlist in the show notes, so it should be really easy to find. If you know someone who would be interested in hearing Ben's career path, please share this episode with them. And if you want to hear more interviews like this, go to careercrosswordspodcast.com or follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast player out there. If you like what you hear, please leave the show a five-star review. 